0: Stay tuned for Putting Down Roots.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Michelle Frederick, and I'm excited to welcome you to Putting Down Roots, a program highlighting creative individuals and organizations, bringing something unique to Mendocino County through the arts, environmental practices, education, and beyond.
0: Hi there. This is Phoenix Trent co-hosting with Michelle. Last month, we discussed climate change and climate action with Doug Nunn, a local climate action activist, and Matt Truno from Victory Gardens for Peace and Ecology Action. If you missed that show and you'd like to listen in, you can go to Spotify and search KZYX Public Affairs and then you'll find Putting Down Roots there. And also go to kzyx.org um, and navigate to the Jukebox page to find any of our past episodes.
1: And we have another exciting show for you today. We're going to be talking about local curiosities in Fort Bragg. Our guests today are Anne-Marine McKeating, director of the Larry Spring Museum, and Mr. G. and Chinchilla, owners of Triangle Tattoo Museum.
0: So we're going to jump right into things here and get uh, started with our first wonderful guest, Anne-Marine, and again, she's the director of the Larry Spring Museum in Fort Bragg. Anne-Marine, thank you so, so much for being with us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, so let's get started. Can you start off by giving us some background on Larry Spring Museum, or, or excuse me, some background on Larry Spring and how the museum came to be?
2: Well, I think um, how the museum came to be is really kind of an interesting story. Um, Larry uh, used to fly cargo uh, during World War II. And um, after he uh, came back to the States, he decided to um, start his own business. And he was always interested in um, radio and uh, television transmission. So he decided to open a Larry Springs television store at 225 East Redwood in Fort Bragg. So um, in the store, you know, he sold Zenith televisions. He also designed and installed uh, antennas, but he was also really interested in um, alternative approaches to physics, and he used um, the knowledge that he gained during uh, his uh, flying during during the war, as well as um, his television experience, to um, kind of make new discoveries around energy. So in um, 19, I think it was in 1954, you know, Larry claimed to have measured the speed of light with his television equipment. Um, He would, uh, he had ideas around how energy um, operated. So where uh, we traditionally understood energy as a waveform, Larry understood it as something that was weightless and massless in a sphere. So he um, discovered what he called magnospheres and um, would share these discoveries uh, in the television store and then um, started making some objects to demonstrate his theories and they became part of the store as well, along with the well-loved uh, Little Woods creatures. So Larry's store eventually kind of became, it was referred to, someone told me that people would refer to it as Larry's Place rather than um, Larry's Zenith television store because its primary purpose was um, sort of debatable. So he he brought his personal practices and his professional practices under one roof. So um, after Larry retired, he decided to make his... Um, research around uh, electromagnetic energy, his primary purpose, and converted the television store into what he called the school of common sense physics. And in that storefront, there were like all sorts of rock collections and Larry's paintings and, of course, a Little Woods Creatures, some televisions, and then a whole demonstration area where Larry's Larry would use his... Um, found objects, kind of sculptural demonstration models to teach physics to anyone who uh, wanted to come in. So he definitely, up until his death, you know, his his purpose was to get his discoveries accepted um, by the mainstream. Although he disdained peer review, um, he still very much wanted uh, universities and libraries to... um, to acknowledge his discoveries.
1: And you mentioned that um, Larry gave classes and then also that he gave free classes and was open to new ideas. Can you talk a little bit more about his community outreach and his involvement in the community?
2: Uh, I think Larry was really unusual in a lot of ways. I mean, he was a super curious man. You know, I think the only time he ever worked for anyone else was during the war. You know, he was really self-motivated. Um, but also understood that, it, you know, it takes a community of people to to build, um, to build things. So uh, Larry would um, offer classes for free. Uh, apparently, he would beckon people from the doorstep of the, uh, the School of Common Sense Physics Anyone was welcome, regardless of their knowledge about physics. And he would give um, three-hour lessons in basic physics plus his discoveries. You know, and he would he would share books with people, um, and it w- it was all for free. Larry, in between his television business and becoming an explorer of radiant energy, was a real estate agent for a while, and he actually did pretty well in real estate. And this really allowed him to pursue um, pursue his interests in a very uh, full way. So um, everyone was welcome in the museum, uh, sorry, in the store. And I, I was talking to um, someone who knew Larry in the 50s and 60s. And he said that he was, Larry was one of the few so-called old timers that welcomed like the hippies and beatniks um, that were moving up from the Bay Area um, after the Cuban Missile Crisis into his place because um, they were open to new ideas. So he was, Larry was like a really early adopter of solar energy. So there'd be a lot of conversations about alternative forms of energy. I mean, solar energy now is commonplace, obviously, but then it was like kind of just like a concept. So, um, yeah, he was, he was really unusually open.
0: Yeah, and I think open is really um, what strikes me about Larry Spring and his legacies. He was clearly a visionary way ahead of his time, and he was all about accessibility and being open and being open to the, to the back to the landers and making the sciences um, accessible. Everyday common sense physics, you know, the sciences can seem such like such a, exclusive thing um, but the reality is is science is all around us so the more that we as everyday people can tap into that and learn about those basics and be um, able to explore I think is beautiful and something that he brought to our community. Um, uh, So you mentioned uh, when we spoke previously that the museum is going to be offering an artist in residence in the future. Can you tell us about the residence and how artists can apply and just give us some background on that that idea?
2: Well I think um You know, the artist-in-residence, we want to play off uh, Larry's generosity and also um, his, like you said, his kind of like visualizing the invisible in a way. I mean, one thing Larry um, could not quite wrap his head around was um, mathematics as a way to describe scientific concepts. So a lot of what he was doing was like visualizing the invisible and making it accessible, so, um, you know, we're, we're interested in hosting artists that um, are, you know, doing that kind of thing, like uh, visualizing mathematics or physics, um, who are interested maybe even the technologies of intuition or esoteric knowledge. Um, we're pretty much open to um, a lot of different kinds of practices. So, you know, if you're interested in the secret life of objects, if you want to do research, uh, if you want to engage community, um, we're really, really interested in um, any and all practices that sort of pertain to the Larry Spring uh, collection in kind of a a loose way. I mean, certainly um, we've had casual residencies up until now, I would say, Radic Tuma, uh, the puppeteer who's been putting on shows there probably since 2015, was like, you know, our first artist in residence. You know, he would put on puppet shows. Um, I call them avant folk in the museum um, in the and in the adjoining yard. You know, he used found materials to create his sets. And this is certainly in keeping with uh, Larry's practices. Um, we've had... Uh, Another uh, fellow, Stuart Dixon, uh, pre-COVID, he would and work on the 3D print. I call him our mathematician in uh, residence because he visualizes mathematic models. So we've got some of them in the museum now, and they're really pretty beautiful. Um, and we've also hosted... Uh, uh, Trisha Lee lavoie who um, she partnered with Pacific Textile Arts on uh, a project called Prochet the Coast. And um, another duo, the Shake and Make Collaborative, um, who did 3D uh, photographs of Larry's sculptures and wrote poetry inspired by his photographs. So, you know, there, there's always been activity there. Um because we want to we want to keep the collection alive and invite new creative possibilities into the space. you know I mean we don't want to mess with the integrity of Larry's thinking and uh, we want to be extremely respectful of his process. But you know I also think it needs to be a space uh, that's a living museum.
1: I love that idea, too, because it is such an inspiring place, you know, just all of his own works, um, his creations, and then the, which I wanted to ask about, is the incredible rock collection uh, that he has from the Southwest, and then also, you know, the puppet shows, the movie screening. So it just it is such a creative space, multidisciplinary and very inspiring. And so it seems very fitting that it would be a place for artists to come and, and create.
2: Yeah, I think there is um, what's really great is like when you're in the museum and receiving guests, everyone receives it differently. So some people come in as like, whoa, this is like a massive curiosity cabinet. Like, what is this? They see it as a total work of art, you know. Um, other people are very much focused on the physics aspect of um his discoveries, which is also great. Um, you know, and like you said, others are really focused on um the rock and mineral collection, in particular the rock dinner party, which, you know, uh, if you haven't seen that, it's a pretty exquisite piece of collecting it's uh essentially like a six piece dinner party all done in rocks now larry was not um the creator of this uh of the rock dinner party but it was left to him by a colleague at the um gem and mineral club and at the gem and mineral club you know larry would make these beautiful lamps out of sliced agate um the cabinets that hold larry's collections from the southwest all have these agate inlays they're lit from behind um so he was just he was like a prolific prolific maker you know he was really pretty incredible so there's lots to be inspired by if you're an artist in residence or even if you're just coming in you know for a visit
0: and i i've uh i've seen the um mineral uh, dinner set before, and it is the coolest thing. It's so whimsical, so fun. I don't know how he managed to collect so so many incredible pieces. It's really, really unique. So I definitely recommend that folks check that out. Um, If someone's interested in a potential residency, um, how can they reach out to you?
2: So we're going to be, um, we're just like finalizing um, our process around the, the residency and we're super close. So we'll be putting it on our website And then uh, people could also drop us a line at um, like via Facebook. We've got a Facebook page, Larry Spring Museum of Common Sense Physics. We're on Instagram, Larry Spring Museum. And then you could email me um, director at LarrySpringMuseum.org. So, um, you know, if, if you don't see anything posted on the website quite yet, just like drop me a line, you know, and we can have a conversation.
1: And following sort of the theme of it being, you know, a space for inspiration and, and artists, the museum always has really interesting window displays that are designed by local artists. And uh, I was really excited when I found that out. I'm, I'm always really impressed by the, the installations there. Can you tell our listeners how you, how you find the artists and how artists could be considered for a display?
2: Well, you know, we've got a lot of talented people in Fort Bragg, you know, Um, and I think Larry, in a sense, that energy is still there. It's a draw. I know the window, the museum, after, you know, later in Larry's life, he wasn't in in the school that often. And then uh, after he passed, it was closed for a while, but there was kind of this like wacky window that people got a little bit obsessed with, you know, it's like what is going on? It's a mystery in there. So I think the window has always been something that has attracted people. We had the rock dinner party in the window for a long time, which was like quite a hit. And I know um, Larry also showed it in the window there. Um, you know, locally, I, I mean, it's interesting in that the museum just kind of attracts artistic people. So in the past, we've had um, Nathan Maxwell Kahn, who uh, is a local artist and also like shout, shout out to Fog Eater Cafe. Um, he did like a whole window display that was crazy. It was like visualizing ca- some weird and um, in, in, impenetrable research process for an unidentified mad scientist. So we had this giant figure who was a, looking at a microscope and also had, you know, Larry's microfiche machines in the window and then all sorts of weird connections happening. Um, we've had uh, a display of cyanotype. So that's um, Brooke Elgin. And, you know, that was really a nice sort of um, example of the mix of, of art and science. You know, that, that was really quite fantastic. And we hope Brooke will give... Um, a workshop at some point over the summer in cyanotypes. Um, we've had uh, the were nice the rhinoceros project. They they were going to do a traveling embroidery workshop, which of course um, with COVID didn't happen. But instead, um, they did a small residency at the museum and just kind of worked out their project. and In the window, they showed their research. So that was super interesting as well. You know, um, also Radic has done uh, performances in the window using instruments made out of wood. Currently we have um, a nice intersection of art and science with Isabel Rucker's work, um, which is about the physics of refraction. So she's used some uh, color- colorful acrylic pieces, there's um, natural objects, there's crystals, and depending on the time of day, um, the effect from that sculpture is different. So it's it's really, really beautiful, you know, and it's so fun to um, have the space to invite people in to participate. So again, you know, if anyone's interested, Drop us a line. There is something on the website about the windows, but we're, we are in the process, again, of we're finding it and we're probably going to do a bit of a refresh on the website. But you could reach out on Facebook, Instagram, and also uh, through email as well. You know, please, we really, really want local participation. You know, so we, I'd love to hear from, from more artists, makers. You know, you don't even have to identify as an artist. If you have an idea um, send us a proposal.
1: I love the intersection of art and science as well, too. You know, maybe even for someone who isn't super familiar with physics or, you know, or science, but finding a way to incorporate that into their artwork is, is really cool. And out of curiosity, did Larry consider himself an artist or more of a creator, an inventor? He didn't, um, from what
2: I understand, he um, identified solely as an experimenter. So he didn't call himself a scientist. He didn't um, call himself an artist. I think he saw um, his uh, creativity as something that was a hobby. So he wasn't, you know, I think we have more open interpretations of who artists are and what hobbies are now but then i think um he was very segmented around what was an experiment what is art and what is a hobby so uh, his primary um uh identification was as an experimenter of um electromagnetism
0: that's awesome and can you tell us um there's just so, you have so much potential at Larry Spring Museum, and folks should know it's a pretty new organization, recently Forum five hundred one c three, and they have incredible potential. I really recommend that you stop by, um, stop by, and try to do a tour, and reach out to Anne Marine if you'd be interested in residency. It's one of the most unique places that I've seen in Fort Bragg, or maybe maybe in my life. It's really really. <laughs> um, Anne Marine, can you tell us about some plans for the future? Well,
2: we have all sorts of plans and ideas brewing, you know. um, This all, of course, uh, is contingent on, A, you know, how this pandemic plays out. Um, And then also, you know, um, funding and um, capacity. So I think we've got capacity to do a lot of things, but, you know, it would be great if – we will. We were able to get uh, some help. Um, right now, we are thinking about you know revitalizing the puppet shows. I mean, they're super popular. They're so interesting. And again, like um, unlike probably other kinds of puppet theater that you've seen, it, it's pretty avant-garde or avant-folk, as I like to say. Um, I also got a license to screen. The movie Sisters with Transistors, which is um, a film about, you know, some of the female originators of electronic music. So I'm not quite sure when that's going to happen, but it'll happen over the summer. Um, again, cyanotype workshops. We've got ideas about home movie nights. Uh, a couple of years ago, we had the Echo Park Film Center hosting um, uh, free workshops on kind of environmental uh, photography and uh, processing with like um, plants and flowers. They do a Super 8 workshop uh, where people participate by making a Super 8 movie about their city. So we hope to bring them back to get uh, people to make a movie about Fort Bragg. Um, we also have Hopefully, this was scheduled for last year. Hopefully, it can happen in the fall. Um, Indigenous artist Jennifer Dysart uh, coming in the fall, like I said, we hope. And she um, works with the idea of personal archives. So, she will do some film screenings and some workshops around creating personal archives. So, we're pretty excited about that. And, uh, yeah, we have other ideas brewing, like... Something, a project, a larger project called Redwood Time. And yeah, so we, we've been doing a lot of head scratching, um, a lot of laughing, and uh, probably this year, I imagine we'll keep it fairly local. But uh, yeah, it would be nice to um, expand a bit as uh, things open up.
1: Well, I really look forward to the summer and the puppet shows and outdoor movies because that's something that uh, it just is is such an exciting part of, of Fort Bragg. And I, I love that we, we have that. And I know that right now the museum is looking for volunteers in different areas. Can you tell our listeners how they can get involved and help keep the museum and Larry's legacy going? So, um,
2: you know, as we discussed, the collection is kind of like a constellation of art, science, and stuff in between. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we are looking for volunteer docents, but don't think that you have to have this, like, knowledge as a prerequisite to um, helping us out. In fact, you know, we invite different interpretations of the Larry Spring collection. So we are looking for docents, um, any kind of skill sharing, you know, like we've got uh, Stuart who does 3D printing. If there's some sort of skill that you think would work with the museum and you want to give a workshop, I mean, please let us know. We're looking for fundraising help, um, you know, community outreach, social media help, you uh, event photography i mean um if there's any skill that you think uh you would be willing to share um, we're up for uh talking about it absolutely
0: awesome and if folks want to make a donation what's the best way for them to do that
2: um there you could um come into the museum so the museum is open when lost coast Found is open, which is the store beside the museum. So the museum's kind of a portal, you know, through Lost Coast Found. So you can make a donation right there. Um, we also uh, accept donations on the website through Stripe. You could mail us. Again, you could drop me a line. We could figure something out. Um, because we're 501c3 now, we can offer uh, tax receipts. So, um, yeah, it it would be wonderful to uh, get some volunteers in to uh, get some donations. Yeah, because we like to offer um, the programming for free, uh, or at very least, you know, pay what you can, because we want to continue this um, the generosity that Larry instilled in the place, like as early as the nineteen fifties. You know, and we want to make it accessible for everyone.
0: Well, wonderful. Anne Maureen, thank you so, so much for joining us today. And folks, I really recommend that you, you stop by Larry Spring Museum if you get a chance. Uh, thank you, Anne Marie.
2: Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Larry Spring Museum, you can visit larryspringmuseum.org. That's larryspringmuseum.org. And you can follow them on Instagram at larryspringmuseum. Uh, for folks who are tuning in now, you're listening to Putting Down Roots here on KZYX. We're speaking about local curiosities with Anne Maureen McKeating, executive director of the Larry Spring Museum in Fort Bragg, and Mr. G. and Chinchilla, owners of Triangle Tattoo, also in Fort Bragg.
1: So now we'd like to introduce our next guest, Mr. G. and Chinchilla, the founders and owners of Triangle Tattoo, here in Fort Bragg. Hello, welcome.
3: Oh, thank you. Good afternoon. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Welcome.
1: Thank you for being here with us today. So. Could we start off by having you tell us a little bit about how you both came to be in Mendocino County?
3: Um, Chinchilla was here first. Uh, she moved down here in the mid 70s, I think. Yes. And and she uh, can tell her story a little bit.
4: Well, I moved down here in, in the mid 70s and loved it. it. It's the only place I've ever felt really comfortable to be who I am and do what I like to do. And that's nature and art. And um, so the first thing I did was open up a cafe on Main Street in Fort Bragg, right, um, no, in Mendocino, right across the street from the Mendocino Hotel. It was called the Bon Appetit. And that's when Fort, when Mendocino was really fun We were full of street artists, Um, and I happened to have crab and shrimp cocktails, and people would go across the street for their cocktail at the hotel, walk across, directly across, and have a crab or shrimp cocktail with their wine. And um, so I got started there, and then how did... I get into tattooing. Oh. I met you. That's right. We yeah. met each other. Yeah, we were having a,
3: a midlife uh, resparkling of everything. I, I was coming down here and I just ended a relationship uh, with my second wife, the blonde one. And then uh, I uh, had just returned from Nicaragua. I went down in Nicaragua in 85 and 86. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed in... Having my tax dollars, I was a construction worker. Uh, my tax dollars were going to kill poor rural farmers in Central America. And so I decided to drop out. <clears throat> and I met Chinchilla about that time. So I came down here to drop out in Mendocino County, stop paying high taxes, to going to the wrong causes. Um, and then after a couple of months, I decided I need to do something i wasn't into i was a carpenter but i wasn't into going back in my career because i'd already kind of been to the top of skyscrapers and things so i kind of decided i wanted to do something artistic and i always have wanted to do something artistic so i was curious about tattooing more so than doing stained glass or any other kind of craft um i uh learned a little bit about it, and then I took an apprenticeship. And Chinchilla was filming at the time, uh, and she came along for a free apprenticeship. (laughs) So we we traveled to Santa Rosa, and my teacher had started, or our teacher had started in the mid-60s tattooing. And uh, we started in the mid-80s. So he had 20 years experience in professional tattooing. And then uh, we went to Santa Rosa quite a bit, and then We've opened a shop oh. first. Uh, uh, we opened a, a mobile tattoo shop. It was a 1953 Airstream trailer. And we completely remodeled the interior, uh, with the uh, clean, all clean and four stations. In it. And then we took those to motorcycle rallies in the eighties and early nineties. And, uh, we opened a shop in Fort Bragg on Laurel street. And, uh, We've been here ever since. That was uh, 35 years ago.
0: That is a really fun story. And can you give us some history on on tattoo culture and what drew you both to tattooing? Well, it
3: was, uh, I would say it was outer limits there. It was out on the edge. I've always been attracted to out of the edge, uncomfortable places. Like when I lived in Cincinnati, I like to go down to uh, little appalachia or where a lot of the people had migrated from Appalachia to work in factories and the bars down there played really good bluegrass i've always been attracted to the those edges of town that are a little different uh, so well, I forgot the question <laughs> <laughs> anyway that you know that's we used to travel a lot and uh, we We traveled in our airstream
4: to tattoo people. And uh, we felt we've always loved the circus, something exciting about the circus. And um, we got involved in the circus in a way because we met uh, Captain Don Leslie, who was the the tattooed man, and a circus sideshow um, entertainer. He had been... um, he had touched three centuries of tattoo of the circus from where he stood from anywhere he stood he was touching three
3: generations
4: generations of the circus yeah and we were fortunate enough to have him be our guest our friend our father in a way and we've um We started interviewing him because his life was so interesting. And um, we've done a biography of his life, all in his own words. Fascinating. And he, oh, we learned a lot from him. He was one of our teachers.
3: Back to the question about uh, the history, was it? we were attracted to that edge of everything, you know, and, and we were both tattooed at Chinchilla was tattooed in 1967. I was tattooed in 1973. And <clears throat> those things were not common like they are now. They weren't acceptable. You had to be kind of a rebel to uh, be around that, to go get a tattoo. A lot of people in the military had gotten them. And then in, in the sixties, uh, San Francisco was a center of tattooing. With the hippie and the summer of love, that whole thing started. And some of the rock stars, the musicians became tattooed. And then it just grew from there. And one of the people that helped that growth and helped the understanding was a man named uh, Lyle Tuttle. And he grew up and uh, was from Ukiah. And he kept a home in Ukiah up until his passing, which was just a couple years ago. And he was he's known throughout the world. And we kind of rode in on his coattails. And uh, we we were real lucky between Captain Don and Lyle Tuttle and our teacher. We just had to, so many doors open to us with the world of tattooing worldwide. And from being from Fort Bragg, that was uh, amazing because people know us. Uh, you know, we can go to any country, any seaport, and most of the people will know. Fort Bragg, and we'll know Triangle Tattoo and Museum. And that's a good experience to have when you're in a small rural area.
4: And they'll come here and visit us, and visit Fort Bragg, and visit Larry Springs Museum. So it's a nice thread of creativity that, uh, that we're
3: breathing into so then that you know we started writing about this it was a good way to write off some of our traveling in the early 90s and uh, so we wrote magazine articles chinchilla wrote for a couple of local papers a tattoo uh articles in the
4: mendonesian in the
3: bendonesian and we were in new settler uh oh yeah we did some magazine articles that all these things were evolving at the same time we were very lucky to be uh at the beginning of a lot of this we were just the doors were just opening to the popular tattoo that we see today
1: i know that you had mentioned that when you opened the shop that uh it was the only tattoo shop on the coast between here and and portland so it really was innovative what you guys were doing and and bringing it to a small town like fort bragg probably foot put uh fort bragg on a lot of people's radars because of that
3: well yeah fort bragg had its own growing that was happening at that time you know there was more people interested they've always been interested in coming here for sport fishing and camping and uh, i think the hospitality Around uh, businesses around here and the restaurants and rooms to be had and campgrounds that was all expanding at the same time also
4: and North Coast Artists was one of the first galleries that was here in uh, Fort Bragg and they happened to be right next door to us right well where they are now right on Main Street so we were the only two right out there art happenings in this town for quite a long time and now we're just full of all of us all of us tattooed wild artists
0: (laughs) 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 that's so awesome and you've both written articles and books also about tattoo culture and have appeared in documentaries um and in the hbo show called carnival Uh, can you tell us about these experiences
3: fine well the (laughs) chilla just likes to write she was writing poetry uh, at, when she moved down here early she was part of a uh, local poetry circle and so she wrote a couple uh self-published poetry books just one. Oh, one. okay but she was really into poetry and uh had a lot of friends that had their own little poetry readings, sometimes at little street fairs in Mendocino, or or Elk. Elk and, and the uh,
4: Greenwood Pier Cafe. All these places that don't mm-hmm. that aren't even happening anymore. Uh. In Mendocino was a wonderful next to the Beaujolais was a, a place I can't even remember the, the name Seagull? of.
3: Was it the no? Seagull?
4: no, well, I can't remember, but it was wonderful. All the artists went there during
3: the weekends yeah so then i think fort bragg had a first friday's thing started mm-hmm. up and that was fun too because all of a sudden they're trying to promote the artists in this region mm-hmm. and uh, that became quite a big affair and it yeah. still is you know besides without covid yeah. i'm sure it will uh, spark right back up
4: Eduardo smithson was a, a A wonderful artist involved with all of this too.
3: Yeah, he was great. But uh, yeah, the experience with the book writing and the magazines, like I said, those helped us offset our costs when we travel. That we were able to deduct, deduct, uh, you know, our travel and hotels and things when we made these trips. And uh, occasionally, we got paid for our articles, but we mostly took the free advertising. So the advertising was national and international. That probably helped uh, make us known around the world was our writing.
1: And you've also, you know, collaborated in various ways with a lot of other artists, whether it's through, um, you know, you have an exhibition about um, Captain Don at your museum, and then you have a vast collection of photographs, tools, and art by various tattoo artists that you actually lend out to museums, uh, some pretty famous museums for exhibitions. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that?
3: Well, that started by being with the internet and having our title uh, page, Triangle Tattoo and Museum. uh, People realized that they had a whole new generation of people interested in that. And Young people that were working in the museums wanted to put on a, an exhibition about tattoos. So they would contact us and ask us for ideas and articles that we could land or connections with other collectors. And uh, so we, we've we been in over a dozen of those uh, collaborations.
4: And they were long, they were year long commitments mm-hmm. that we made. we take down a whole wall in our museum for the, um, Uh, Sailors for for military tattoo. Um, The Seaport Museums on the East Coast, Philadelphia Seaport Museum, New York Seaport Seaport Museum, a lot of different museums, they would share our things. It it moved from museum to museum for a year at a time. So what we do is just take pictures of what we had sent to them. And we had just the photographs of the pieces in parts of our museum. Yeah. Was
3: it was great to be a part nice of that, because share. it just taught us a lot about curating and taking care of our collection, uh, cataloging it. And uh, they always sent things back with us free, like some things were framed and and uh, sent back. Sometimes they took our collection, used it in posters or booklets. And, yeah. It just helped, helped us, you know, get the gears rolling to be older tattoo artists, I guess. <laughs> I
4: guess.
3: Yeah, so, so, yeah, we've never given up on the, The Lyle always said that, you know, just take care of tattooing, it'll take care of you, all this other, all this other activity is, is if you don't tattoo it, then it's going to fall away from you, so you just keep tattooing. And, stay true to the real art mm-hmm.
4: and I I put a sign outside our front door because there's a lot of people that would, uh, well at one time they weren't interested at tattooing at all and I said that Triangle Tattoo and Museum exhibits a diverse historical, social spiritual and anthropological view of the ancient art, the ancient mother art of tattoo. this place will enrich your insight and spark your curiosity. And we welcome children. We had um, the kids used to come from the elementary schools here when when the um, schools could afford to send the kids off on um, yeah. on field trips. And it was, it was really fun. For our first field trip, I was, I was very excited. I got this little hat to put on. I have little stick. And all these little kids came in from the school. And I was getting ready to explain how the museum worked, right? And then you could hear this buzzing in the other room. And the children said, what, what's that? What's that? i said well mr g's tattooing somebody in the other room and they all just left the room and left me standing there <laughs> by myself and that's what they were interested in was just coming in and watching our real tattoo happen so a lot of our exit uh, you know our what do you call those when they
3: come oh uh, our field
4: trips field trip.
3: yeah our field trips so it's that yeah it's fascinating for children to yeah. come in and be allowed to come in and watch tattooing because it's part it's in their dna
4: mm-hmm.
3: I, we believe that tattooing is like dance and music is it's really deep in the dna uh to decorate and to decorate oneself yeah. and it's 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 been around for tens of thousands of years uh, Anyway, yeah, that's fun to see them light up over that. that, They love art. Children love art, and it's fun to see them get excited by art.
1: Well, and speaking of um, field trips or or speaking with youth, Mr. G, you recently went to speak with at-risk youth in Point Arena, or you were able to speak with them over Zoom about Mm -hmm. the art of tattooing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
3: Well, I think. There was 2 full reasons for a lot of them to want to come and, and or zoom and talk about tattooing, as we were, they were all curious about it. A lot of them were from uh, Indian or you know local First Nation people down by Point Arena in Manchester, and they were uh, curious about their roots, their older generations, of how tattoos fit into their their culture that they were born into. And so they had a lot of curiosity around that. And then um, they wanted to pop up their identity as part of being indigenous. And uh, they couldn't wait. But now that we're in the laws, you know, 18-year-olds have to wait until they're 18. But that doesn't mean they can't study it and learn about it and learn about it from their elders. About, you know, the thing was a lot of tattooing and and indigenous people here in the united states they have to earn their tattoos uh, i you know they they can't rebel on stuff if they're not given the the opportunity and permission to do that it's it means more to them to have the blessing of their elders to get tattoos and sometimes for that elders to give them some insight into what those tattoos mean you know it's just uh interesting that that's something i'm not totally familiar with but i i sure enjoy hearing about those things from people and studying those things from the books that we have in our library
4: and mr mr g has um, been very brave in many ways we've ridden elephants and hiked up trails in um Burman. in, in Burma and thailand and And he's even subjected his own body to uh, communal inks, communal medicinal inks from shamans. I couldn't believe he did that. I I begged him, I said, no, don't, don't do this, because there would be a shaman who would walk from village to village with a a vial around his neck full of... uh, and just, amulets and prayers and it was a communal mixture of things. He used the same needle, the same um
3: or puncturing tool. Yeah.
4: Same everything on everybody. And Mr. G has an amazing tattoo on his back that was done in that manner. I made him go to the doctors afterwards and it said the medicine, they said it had magic in it, and it did. Otherwise, he, he wouldn't be here.
3: <laughs> I would have died right away. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, very fascinating, and uh, that's what we like to share in our, our books and our magazine yeah. articles. Uh, I think in the last few years, you know, you, your interest – switch a little bit so i've been more interested in in keeping on top of the tattoo skills because the whole world's opening up to this and there's so many talented young people tattooing now that i like to stay abreast of what's going on what changes what kind of equipment they're using what what kind of style they're using and so i like to still be in the midst of that uh, but I, i have a feeling they're surpassing the older old-school old tattoo artists. They're just taking over. So it's fun to watch, fun yes. to be part of it.
0: I'm sure it's cool to see how the style is evolving over time. New oh, generation.
3: yeah. And, and they, a lot of them still like to go back to the turn of the you know, early 1900s and then the mid-century and the 1950s and stuff. So it's like a, uh, what do they call that, traditional Tattoo, so they're revisiting that and then sometimes they're interpreting that changing it somewhat i i'm mostly interested in the realistic tattooing um i find that fascinating to be an illustrator basically on skin so you take a, a photograph or, or something like that a poster and then you try to uh match that up on someone's body i've done a few bangos on people i've done some um Nice signs on people, you know, just
4: Elvis.
3: Uh, Che Guevara was one of my favorites.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and in addition to your travels, you both have also had people come here to visit. Um, when I visited the museum, you were showing me that there was a group that came from Japan. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Well, that we befriended, uh, the Japanese made one of their first uh conventions out of uh japan in 1987 and we were there and uh we just uh, i scheduled to get a tattoo while we're there and we became very good friends with the people that were interpreting for them and they were from san francisco uh bill and juni salmon uh juni had been tattooed by uh horatoshi and um where Toshi was a master from Tokyo, and he was traveling with a master from Yokohama, Oriyoshi Nakano the third. And uh, we just kept running into them afterwards, like at conventions, and we just would you know go out to dinner with them and pal around with them and got tattooed by them. So
0: exactly. we went to
3: yeah we went to uh, Tokyo and Yokohama and collected more tattoos from, and and then Horatoshi would come and see Bill and Judy in San Francisco, and then they would come up here to visit for a week or 10 days. And we set it up so they could tattoo while they were here. And it was uh, fascinating for local people to get a real Japanese tattoo. And, uh, yeah, they were busy when they were here, and it was fun to host them.
4: It was.
3: We had so many things here that they... A lot of their uh, urchin or uni was coming from Fort Bragg. So we knew people that worked down in the harbor, and we fed them uni Mm -hmm. to the point of it was uni overdose, I think. (laughs) And abalone... Lots of seafood hot that they—it was so fresh to them.
4: And hot dogs. We gave them hot dogs. Yeah, we
3: fed them hot dogs. And we <laughs> played
4: Elvis, but they loved Elvis. Yeah. Mister G took them out, uh target
3: practicing. Oh yeah, they shot had their had first firearms.
4: They had never <laughs> even touched a gun. Yeah,
3: it was, it was a, and, a real quick course in gun safety. <laughs> uh,
4: and Mister G did another thing. I probably shouldn't say it, but I—I I love that they did this. We had a, a pink Cadillac big beautiful pink cadillac and uh mr g had to go to the bathroom oh yeah i was taking
3: them back to san francisco and they'd never (laughs) never pissed outside (laughs) along a car in public (laughs) and they (laughs) thought that was great under the stars on 101 uh pissing out in the middle of the night that was you know because that's just not, they were know. You know, much more shy in their own culture <laughs> to do that so we had a moon pissing session out there by Hopland somewhere
0: <laughs> yes. welcome to california all right yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so can you tell us a little bit we're just about to, to wrap up here but can you tell us about um some of your plans for the future of triangle tattoo museum
3: well yes we're trying to uh, create a better cataloging of our items here uh and uh you know we're just trying to get back in the groove from this covid shutdown uh it's just been uh, uh i don't know we were out of business there for nine months i believe and it's just starting to come back there's a lot of uh, mitigation still going on but we we're really looking forward to open up again where we can have more people up here we haven't opened our museum yet because uh we can't have that many people up here we have to To just focus on people that are getting tattooed, and it's only one person at a time per artist. And And the
4: museum is in every room of this place. Yes, including our home.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we're trying to just wait to be open again, and then really take it off on the museum again, and start other projects, some more writing, and uh, you know, upgrade our website. Just just get back in at full steam again is our plans.
0: Well, Mr. G. Tunchella, thank you so much for joining us today. This was awesome. Well, thank you for having us. This
3: was a very fun event. I'll keep tuning in just to see what you guys are up to. Thank you for having us.
1: Thank you so much for sharing um, your story and and the history of tattooing and bringing such a diverse space uh, to our community that's not only offering an art to people, but also educating people about the art of tattooing.
3: OK, thank you. Thank you.
0: And for folks who are just tuning in now, you're listening to Putting Down Roots here on KCYX. We've been talking about local curiosities with anne Marine McKeating, executive director at the Larry Spring Museum in Fort Bragg, and Mr. G. and Chinchilla, owners of Triangle Tattoo in Fort Bragg. Thank you again to our guests for joining us. It's been so wonderful to learn more about the work you all are doing to bring uh, something curious and new and innovative to our community. A quick announcement. The Small Business Administration, SBA, is currently offering grants to restaurants, theaters, and venues that have been impacted by the pandemic. You can visit SBA.gov for more information. That's SBA.gov.
1: Join us on June 3rd at 3 p.m. for our next show, which will be focusing on botanicals. And if you want to hear our show from today, please check out KZYX.org and go to the Jukebox page. You can also find KZYX on Spotify under KZYX Public Affairs.
0: Yeah, and you can find all of our almost all of our past episodes on there, and there's lots and lots of fun, fun content and fun conversations. And if you have any ideas for a topic that you'd like us to feature here on Putting Down Roots, or if you'd like to be a guest on our show, if you'd like to be featured... Please send us a message to our Instagram account. You can find our Instagram. It's at puttingdownroots.kzyx. That's at k z y x So you can just send us an email there, or you can feel free to send me an email, and my email address is phoenix, P-H-O-E-N-I-X, at evolvedgrowthstrategies.com. We're always looking for new ways to highlight the creative individuals and organizations that bring so much life and vibrancy to our region and to our community, And uh, once again, we're so happy to be speaking with all of our guests today. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Have a beautiful night.
1: Thank you so much.